Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Miners of Durham County have come together once a year for their demonstration and gala day. This was the first Durham rally since the pits were handed over to the people. This year, one of the popular attractions was Mr. Herbert Morrison, who spoke of the link of solidarity between miners and other workers. I want you men of the pit to come through. I want this great scheme of nationalization to succeed triumphantly. The whole country is watching to see how this great new organization This new adventure, this new experiment comes out. The great experiment of socialism in a democracy Hello all theatre lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. Welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theatre's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The British Invasion and it is covering shows that originated in the United Kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our great white way. Some making a giant splash and some barely making a ripple. I am your host, Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is a dancer, performer, social media star. You probably have seen him on the Broadway in Hello, Dolly, in American in Paris, another show that will probably be discussed today, I'm assuming. Uh, you might have seen him on... I didn't know this until I was uh, looking up this morning. You might have seen him on film in Center Stage, icon, or you best know him from Instagram or YouTube with his husband and uh, alum of the podcast, Brett Shuford, one of the Broadway husbands. Please welcome Stephen Hanna. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Mr. Stephen. How are you today? I'm well. I'm doing well. It's good. Yes. It's a beautiful day here. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm drinking my iced coffee, my cold brew, and things are good. I can't get past... Uh, how iced coffee makes my throat feel. So even though it's like 90 degrees, I can only drink hot coffee, which I'm drinking really? out of my out of my Ravenclaw mug. I was in Provincetown a few days ago and my friend Mike, when we went to get coffee, he's like, oh, you're one of those sociopaths that drinks hot coffee in the summer. I'm like, I have no choice. <laughs> but then don't you find that you're always kind of sweating and you're like, but it's not because it's hot outside. It's because the coffee or do you do you like that? Well, Stephen, as someone who has always just been hot in every way you can think of the word, 
I just, I'm sweating all the time. Cause like, I don't know. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, Oh God, I'm just so sexy and hot, but I guess that's just the <laughs> life that I lead. <laughs> but I don't have to say that to you. Uh, you, I mean, let's be clear, everyone. I love Brett. I've only met you for a few minutes. I'm already loving you. Uh, and your Instagram Broadway husbands is wonderful. However, sometimes I consider it torturous pornography because it's you two either like at Disney World making out or it's you guys in bed drinking coffee. And I'm like, I don't know whether to touch myself or cry into a cookie because it's like both. <laughs> it's like a vision board and Pornhub at the same time. Well, good. I mean, that's really what we're going for. So I'm glad we're achieving that. No mission, mission, <laughs> mission accomplished. accomplished. Yes, yes. You you were in center stage though, right? IMDb was not lying to me. Yes, no, I was in the movie Center Stage. Um, <sighs> that was a lifetime ago. Now, um, I had just joined New York City Ballet, and I think I was like 19, or I don't know. I think we filmed it the summer of '99. I think is when yeah. it was. Were you in the uh, final dance? Yeah, I um, so I'm in like the more balletic one, which is what is the name of the I can't think of uh, Zoe. So, um, oh, Zoe Saldana's character. Yeah. So when she like comes on Maureen, right? No, Maureen's or, the bitch. She's oh, right, um, Maureen's the bitch. Right, right. Anyways, so yeah, when yeah. she comes on, I'm in that ballet and then I'm also in um, Cooper's ballet. But the men don't do much in Cooper's ballet. They're just in that slow part. I see the way he yeah. treats you. We just literally yeah. do some sidesteps in the back. Um, 100%. So you're not there yeah. for the candy in my ears? Oh, can't heat in no. my ears? can't heat. I mean, we watched that be rehearsed a lot, a lot, mm -hmm. a lot. But yeah, we weren't in it. So she's doing pirouettes and fuetes, correct? That's what she's doing at the end? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're going to discuss that in a bit because, uh, first of all, Stephen, what show are we discussing today? We're talking about Billy Elliot, the musical. A musical that I believe you have some experience with yes I do have some experience I I was in the original Broadway cast of Billy Elliot on Broadway Billy Elliot the musical on Broadway and I I roughly estimate that I performed the show like I I think by the time we closed it it ran for about three years and I think that we were at performance like 1313 or something, something or, like you that, know, yeah. something like that um and and i think i, I probably did around 1100 performances or so that is amazing yeah so i don't think anyone can hear that but when steven said he was in the original broadway company there was a little bit of a hair toss there it's just, no oh, really <laughs> i'm i'm just trolling you okay. no, but <laughs> We're not, not. I can't troll you too much because I keep forgetting we've only just met and you are my guest today. So That's I can't, right. I can't just no. be like, hey guys, here's all the way Steven sucks. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you I cannot. cannot, you cannot. I cannot. <laughs> so, but I will ask when you auditioned for this show, did you just come in and do a tour jeté and then look at them all dead in the eyes and go, must we continue with this charade? And they said, no, you're right. Here's your, here's your role. I wish it I wish it was that easy. Um, the audition process was, uh, I mean, I didn't go in a lot. I went in, I think I went in a total of three times. And then at one point while we were there, I always would ask other people that ha had auditioned for the role and for the show after, like if they had to do this, they all of a sudden, the woman who was the associate choreographer was like, all right, tops off. And I, 
I, I didn't really under, understand what, she's, what, what she was saying. And my friend, another guy who was there auditioning, we were like longtime friends and he just started laughing. And I was like, what did she just say? And he was like, I think they want us to take our shirts off. And, um, <laughs> and so we, we at one point in the audition, we actually danced with our shirts off. Um, so that was the first part. Um, but it was, it was just straight up ballet class. Um, Is there a point in the show where your shirt was off? No. So they just wanted to see your torso. I'm not was this sure. a Me Too movement moment? Is it, was, is it Billy Elliot a Me Too moment, Stephen? I'm not sure. I, you know, I think, I think that it, maybe they weren't sure, like, maybe they were thinking that maybe the guy would be shirtless in the dance. Like I, that's all I could think about. Like maybe that was an, an idea. I don't think that, you know, I don't think they knew. So anyways, <laughs> even though, the, even though the production had already been done twice before, so they knew, but for yeah. whatever reason, we danced with our shirts off. I'll never forget that. And then um, we learned some like fight choreography and we sang and we read, um, but you know, it was like a long three hour, four hour ordeal. And you had seen the movie before the show came out, yes? I had, um, but I don't know that I had seen it all the way through. I, you know, I I rented it when it first came out. That's how long ago it came out. I think I got it at Blockbuster. It was uh-huh. a DVD and I started watching it and then I never really finished it. Um, you said, you know, this but- is no center stage. I'm done. This is a flop by garbage. I honestly think that uh, Billy Elliot's story is so similar to mine that I didn't need to watch it. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where, you know, I'm obviously not from England, but I'm from Pittsburgh, which is a steel mm-hmm. town and similar to a coal town. And, um, you know, I started dancing at a really young age. I left Pittsburgh and came to New York um, when I was 12 to study at the School of American Ballet. Um, the only the biggest difference between Billy's story and my story was that my dad was very supportive. He was he was also a ballet dancer growing up. So the second that I started showing interest in dance, my dad just kind of like uh, he wasn't pushy, but he was very supportive and made sure that the teachers that I had were legit and kind mm-hmm. of doing the right thing. And um, yeah, yeah. Wait. So, OK, you went to School of American Ballet as a as a child. I did. I started going there in the seventh grade. So question for you. Yeah. What was your, where was your school school? I went to professional children's school. Did you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You went to PCS. Holy shit. The second you're like, I went to SAB uh, as a kid. I was like, oh my God. I'm almost positive he went to PCS because that's of where course. all the SAB kids went who uh, were from out of town. That's insane. Oh my God. So you were you were in the building when it was still like the old building, when it was like the red door you had to go through and get buzzed in. Yeah. Have yep. you seen the school since it's got renovated? I have. I went back. Um, I always, you know, like since the renovation, I, I saw it from the outside and I always mm-hmm. would be like, oh, I should just like go in and say hi. But then I never would want to do that. <laughs> um, and then and then uh, do you know Miss Nahalnik? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she, the first year that she taught there was when I first went there. Oh my so God. she, she reached out to me at some point, I think I was in Hello Dolly. So it was in 2017 mm-hmm. and I went and I talked at the school, um, you know, just to the students 
And um, so I got to see the building then and it was super exciting. And it was, it was also kind of funny because a lot of the teachers that I had were still there. Mr. Chalmers was there, Miss mm-hmm. Nahalnik. And I feel like there was one other person there. Oh, um, Miss Glan. Did you have Miss Glan? I, oh Shelley's yeah, for Glenn. English, right. For English. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it was really cool <laughs> to see all those teachers again who I hadn't seen in 20 years or maybe a little less than 20 years, but you know, it was- Girl. Oh my, okay. First of all, this is insane. Yeah. I, I've, I've brought up PCS a couple of times on this podcast. I'm, I'm almost positive. Not as much as I've talked about Stage Door Manor, but I know you didn't go there. You were too busy <laughs> being didn't. a ballet kid. No, you're too busy like actually studying and working. But yeah, this is, okay. This is the first time I've had someone from PCS on the show. This is a moment. The moment is us. We are the moment. This Yay. is incredible. Yay. So wait, how, how many years did you go there for? I was there from seventh through 12th. So me too, me too. Yes. Twinsies. So, yes. and I mean, not for nothing, but a lot of people thought I was a ballet dancer when I was there, even though I wasn't, but yeah, I, I started going there. My parents were supportive of me doing theater, but they weren't supportive of me, supportive of me doing it professionally at a young age because both mm-hmm. my parents had been in the industry in some ways and sort of had seen peripherally how a lot of kids were treated and this is all coming back to what we're talking about with, with uh, Mr. Elliot, but they wouldn't really let me pursue it professionally until I was leaving my New Jersey school. And so for seventh grade, they're like, okay, you can go to this new school. It seems like a really good school. You can start taking lessons. You can start auditioning. I got an agent and I had a glorious nine months before my voice started to change where I was going in for stuff and getting callbacks and whatnot. And just as I was starting to get momentum, my voice started to change on my 13th birthday. And I stayed at PCS and studied uh, voice and dance and whatnot, even though I stopped kind of pursuing it professionally for a few years, because when you're a singing boy and your voice is going through the change, yeah, it's very difficult. But yes, I seven through 12, I was there for all that construction. Miss Glan, uh, Miss Nahalnik, I was Miss Kleban principal when you were there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah. yeah. Rest, rest in peace. Very, very mm-hmm. sad about her passing. Yeah. Well, but mm-hmm. I forget her um, assistant's name, but she was there like forever. And um, oh, the, the woman at the in the office. Yeah. With, Peggy? Peggy. 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 Yes. Yes. Her yeah, office yeah. Was, was right off the the uh, lockers and the on the common. Yeah. 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 Uh, totally. Remember the common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all those Broadway posters. Uh, yes. I there was there's an Avita poster. And I remember thinking, that's not Patty. It was Lonnie Ackerman. But they all, <laughs> they had a lot of other wonderful Broadway posters. They also, I, sorry the about poster it, that The poster that I can think of right now, and I think it's because when I first went for like an orientation back in the early 90s, um, was um, there was a poster of the show Black and Blue. Yeah, and... I don't think that got, that's there anymore. Uh, no, probably not. But there, and there was a student at the time. I remember his name was Tariq Wilson, and he was an amazing tapper. Mm. And anyways, he had been in the show Black and Blue, and that that always kind of sticks in my head. Yeah, I, that might have been replaced by the Carousel poster, which is burned in my brain because that's my favorite show, my favorite production. And as the listeners know, I bring the good one. Yes, yeah. um, though the iconic, legendary, the only one. Which it's did you yeah. did you get a chance to see it when you were at SAB slash PCS? I didn't. You know, I I remember walking by the Beaumont all the time and seeing that poster, but I did mm-hmm. not see the show. Unfortunately, I've seen it, YouTube clips of it, and it's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I only ask because I know that there were some 
SAB, uh, NYCB people, I think, in it at the time. Yes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Sa- Sandra Brown was with New York City. She Bell was with ABT. Time. She was with oh. ABT. But, uh, but oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. No, but you're right. Yeah. Rival gangs. Um, but bringing up children and dance and professionalism and all this stuff brings us back to Billy Elliot. So yeah. you had seen the movie kind of, and you said, this is no center stage. This is a flop. And you walked away. And then many years later, there's talks of it being done in England and everyone's like, holy shit, this thing's amazing. And then eventually it comes to Broadway and you're like, well, I dance. And so you go in for it. Was this your first Broadway show, Billy Elliot? Yeah, I um. So at the time, I was a principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, uh-huh. and I had a friend who was an agent, and he, like, casually asked me, "Hey, would you? I know they're looking for somebody to be older Billy. Would you want to audition?" And, and I said yes. You know, at the time, I was, I was looking to do like I was ready to try something different. You know, uh-huh. um, I'd been in the company for. Uh, like 11 years at that time, at that point. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, was excited to go in and audition. So, yeah. Uh, well, that's lovely. So yeah. we've talked about ourselves. And, I'm sorry, this for people who listen to this podcast looking for like Broadway history, they're like waiting for the good stuff. They're like, yeah, get yeah, to yeah, all yeah. this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sorry, I just got too distracted by PCS. By, by PCS, by this connection. My mind is still officially blown. Uh, the next time you and Brett are in the city. We, you, we have to just talk forever yes. because our time is limited today. Okay. Uh, Steven's very busy and therefore I have to get to the show. So okay. <laughs> let's get, so Billy Elliot, it is based on the 2000 film that Steven famously hated starring Jamie Bell and Julie Walters directed by Steven Daldry, written by Lee Hall. I didn't and- hate it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> he needs to say that officially so he can uh, work with these people again one day. <laughs> Steven did not hate it. I'm putting words in his mouth. Right. I'm an antagonist. Just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. <laughs> so, we're, so we're clear. No, it, listen, if you ever watch the movie, Billy Elliot, having seen the show and looking for like a lot of dance, you might be a little underwhelmed by the film because it's the film is not heavy on impressive dance. It's more about the charm of the passion and the roughness of his dance, which we'll talk about as, as well as we continue onwards. But if you want like full blown dance dance, center stage is where it's at with the fuete pirouette that goes on for all eternity from Miss Jody Sawyer. <laughs> on, a right. technical, is, on a technical yes. level, would you say that's accurate? That's like the term they use at SAB and- That's, that's what I was taught. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yep. Uh, what's the name of the guy who plays Cooper again? Ethan Stiefel. Thank you. I was going to say Ethan Slater. I'm like, no, that's SpongeBob. Ethan yeah. Stiefel. <laughs> so anyway, the movie of Billy Elliot came out in 2000. It was a working title film. Remember the names Lee Hall, Stephen Daldry, Peter Darling. They will come up in a minute. The screenplay was first written by Lee Hall in 1998 as a stage play. It was called Dancer. And he started developing it as a screenplay as he looked through the book step-by-step by by Finnish photographer, my God, I'm about to butcher this name, Circa Lisa Kantinen. That's 100% wrong. If anyone out there knows what exactly it is, please send me a voice memo on Instagram and let me know. Maybe I can dub that in uh, after I officially upload this. I don't know. I don't know how technology works. Uh, The book chronicles the lives of students and their parents at a dance school in North Shields in the 1980s. So while looking through this book, it allowed Lee Hall to kind of visualize his screenplay. 
he gives it to Stephen Daldry and they'd worked together a few times um, in their twenties. And I think this is the first movie Stephen Daldry directed. And as they, is it really? uh, I think so. Yeah. I think he might've done oh. a short film, but he was mostly a theater director at this point still really oh. is, but yeah, yeah he, I, he was most known Stephen Daldry for directing a revival of a play called an inspector calls, which, uh, came to New York the same season That's as right. Carousel, actually. Yeah. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you, you were there for all of it. Go ahead. Keep <laughs> so anywho, uh, so a quote that I found in terms of the uh, development of the movie, which I just want to use because it's going to come up as we talk about the show. Gary Lewis, who played Billy Elliot's father, was talking about the uh, research he did for playing Billy's father because the show and movie take place in the uh, early to mid 1980s during the 84 85 uh, minor strike which we'll discuss mm-hmm. more in depth in a second but as Gary Lewis was talking to miners who were on strike at that time in preparation for playing Billy's father he said basically this was a situation where the state launched a complete attack on a section of the workforce, a section of the working class. Lots of people responded with solidarity. And that was a key element in the script. Solidarity, working at different levels, the collective solidarity, the economic solidarity. Now, did Lee Hall see that quote and then get inspired? Maybe. The movie opened to uh, very positive reviews and really successful uh, box office nominated for three Oscars, including one for Hall and for Daldry and for Julie Walters. Uh, It premiered in 2000 in like May of 2000 at Cannes with the name Dancer. And then they changed it after they premiered it because the Bjork film Dancer in the Dark had come out. And they were like, we don't want people to think this is similar. Yeah, no confusion. And so they changed it to Billy Elliot. While they were at Cannes, Elton John saw a screening and his future husband at the time turned to him and he was like, this is a musical. And Elton John's like, maybe it is a musical. So he goes to Lee Hall and Stephen Daldry and he's like, I think this is a musical. And Lee Hall said, that sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. He, he was like, um, no, I don't think so. He was like, I don't, I don't agree with that one bit. I, Which, you know, wait, did, I don't know if I would have to like research this really quickly, but I feel like didn't Lee Hall and Stephen Daldry work on a film previous to this together or I think they worked on a play together because I believe Lee Hall was was an aspiring playwright, not screenwriter. Okay, okay. And because I'm I'm almost positive because I so my granted the information out there in regards to the making of Billy Elliot, both the movie and the stage show for a show that has been very, very popular. It's not extensive. So I've had mm-hmm. to find interviews with like Stephen Daldry and Elton John and Lee Hall to discuss it all. And so I was the theater talk interview with Stephen Daldry, I think, where he was like, well, I knew Lee, you know, we had worked on stuff in the past, but this was, I believe, their first movie, at, at least okay. definitely first movie together. And I do believe it was Stephen Daldry's first like feature film. Got it. Uh, at least that's what he says. But, you know, as we've learned with some people on this podcast, memories are fickle and yes. people have selective memories. That's great. But yes, we do love a moment when what's going to become this big thing. Somebody's like, no, absolutely not. For example, when Tim Rice said to Andrew Lloyd Webber, let's write a musical about Ava Perone. Andrew Lloyd Webber says, no, I don't want to do that. Let me write my musical by Jeeves instead. And then who sings from By Jeeves anymore? 
Not enough no. people do. Not Madonna people. didn't make a movie about by Jeeves. No, she did it. She did it. She did it. <laughs> woof, woof. So they, uh, Lee Hall and Stephen Daldry fly to New York to meet with Elton John for um, an extensive period of time. So Elton John can sort of convince them. And Lee Hall's like, okay, let's maybe do like a workshop of this thing and see if this could maybe work in any capacity. So they do a workshop at the Old Vic. Lee Hall writes the book and the lyrics. Uh, which apparently was also Ellen John's idea. Lee Hall was like, I thought I was just going to write the script. And Ellen John's like, no, you're going to write lyrics. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how to write lyrics. And Ellen John's like, and what? So <laughs> El- Elton is just like, I'm sorry. I, you thought you had a, you had a say in this? No, I'm Elton John. I'm saying what's going to I'm only happen. writing the music. I'm only writing the music. Yes. And in two weeks. Yeah. Yes. He's famously a very fast writer, but and, but Stephen Daldry has wanted to make it very clear he was very heavily involved in the workshops because in the interview, Michael Riedel was saying, um, how do you work with Elton like in previews? Do you like hold a phone up to the show and be like, we need to change this? And he's like, no, we worked on it in a workshop for like a year and Elton was there for a lot of it. So a lot of the changes needed to be made was in the workshop. Um, so they do the workshop at the Old Vic. Stephen Daldry was like, maybe this could work. So they get the funding to uh, perform it on the stage. They were going to do it out of town at the Tyne Theater. Yeah, the Tyne Theater, which every time I think of it, I think the Tyne Daily Theater. But the no, Tyne it's Daily. Yeah. I, where is her theater? Where is yeah. the Tyne Daily Theater? It's there. It's somewhere in England, right? Yes. Well, I think <laughs> it's the town of Tyne. I don't know. You're probably, fun, yeah. Fun fact, there's a town in England named after Tyne Daly. So <laughs> they didn't end up doing the out-of-town tryout because the show was so expensive. So they just opened it cold on the West End at the Victoria Palace Theater, I believe it's called. Yes, the Victoria Palace Theater. It's where Hamilton is now. They The preview uh, process was very extensive, so they can make a lot of changes. They brought certain American creatives to the West End to give notes, like Stephen Sondheim or toxic asshole Scott Rudin. And they open it to rave, <laughs> rave, rave reviews. Um, listen, I don't think that's a hot take, Stephen. No, I, I, I'm just I'm just chuckling. Um, did 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 they mention any other Americans that came to see it I or work on it? I, I, the all, those were the two that I found. I'm sure there were others. Uh, the, the wording was that there were a number of American creators who came over. The two mentioned by name were Sondheim mm-hmm. and Toxic there Asshole. So I'm sure, I'm sure there were others. I just don't know officially who. Do you, yeah. would you have, do you I, know well, him? I would just, I, I mean, I would just say that, you know, David Chase did all, you know, a lot of the arrangements. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure he was working on it in London as well because he was the music musical director on Broadway and, mm. and did all the arrangements. So I would assume he started working with the project over there too. Yeah. Well, I would assume he probably like wasn't flying over during previews, to, like offer his thoughts. He was probably like, in yeah. the thick of it yeah um, we could probably have david chase to thank for the musical arrangements of solidarity which like yeah, yeah. we will we will discuss because my god that number so yeah. <laughs> uh seriously my god that number oh, god. my god that number <laughs> you guys are probably all eating mcdonald's during intermission backstage being like okay so we just did solidarity let's let's carbo load please <laughs> so, no i wasn't i was i was putting a dance belt on and getting ready to do ballet but yes well that's your journey. So okay. <laughs> as I said, the show opens uh, to super, super rave reviews uh, in May of 2005. It wins four Olivier Awards. 
The show became so popular on the West End that it was referenced in various TV shows in America before it even came to Broadway. Most famously, Will and Grace, where Will and Grace take a plane to go see Billy Elliot because Will, oh yeah, it's one of my favorite storylines. Will is like so intent on seeing Billy Elliot in London that they fly to see it. And that's where uh, Grace runs into her ex Leo, Harry Connick Jr. on an airplane. Oh. They have some bathroom sex and she gets pregnant. Oh my God. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Well, also I've got a Rain Man brain for pop culture. So I'm mm-hmm. just, it's just stuck in there forever. Like I can't tell you what the square root of 72 is, but I can tell you where Grace met Leo and got knocked up and why they were wow. on a plane. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Come through brain. Uh, finally, three years later, it moves to Broadway. I even in my research I found that they actually struck a deal two years before opening. They got the Imperial in like September of 2006, mm-hmm. and the Schuberts were like, "Don't tell anyone," because technically speaking, high fidelity is coming in, and we don't want them to realize that we have no faith in their show. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, I knew that they had the theater for a long time before. I didn't realize it was two years before. Yeah. I mean, that set is just so complicated. I'm sure they needed the time to make sure that it was going to fit, that it was going to work, as you'll tell us firsthand in a bit how it sometimes didn't work. Yeah. Um, Hayden Gwynn is the only person from the West End to come in to play her role as Mrs. Wilkinson. Maybe this is why they asked you to take off your shirt. They were tinkering around with the script, figuring out how much they wanted to Americanize the show because it is such a British show. And mostly mm-hmm. they decided to not really uh, do much at all. I think they changed a couple of words that are English slang that American audiences just would not know. So, for example, when Michael's trying on dresses for Billy and he's like, oh, that's mank. They change it to that's hideous because American audiences don't know what mank is. So maybe they were like, listen, American theater audiences are total dum-dums who love beefcake. Maybe we'll have the older Billy be shirtless so maybe that was like an idea and then once they did it in the auditions they're like mm, i think it's classier just to have him wear the shirt yeah i mean it's also it would read i think a little strange to have an older person with their shirt off with a younger you know i think you know they quickly sure. realized that wasn't the road they needed to go down yes well, <laughs> yes not yes not every billy at 11 years old is 11 year old me who like would have killed to be that close to a shirtless ballet dancer I was a very strange child. I knew what I wanted pretty young, <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's a story hey. for another day. Yeah. Hey, hey, yeah. hey. Um, yeah, I think I probably would have like full, if they were like, you can totally have this happen, Matt, at 11, but you might have to murder someone. I'm like, okay, give me a name. Who is it? <laughs> the wrench in the hallway? I'll do it. So yeah, uh, you guys had six weeks of previews, which seemed to be necessary due to some technical difficulties. You finally opened That's November. Right. It was six weeks. It was so we started. I think we started our first preview. I want to say it was October first. Is that right? Does it say that? Yeah, October first. Um, so I think, I yeah. think we went into the theater on September first, mm-hmm. right around Labor Day, and teched forever. Mm-hmm. And um, and then yeah, we did six weeks of previews, which was you know this was my first Broadway show, so I didn't know how it usually went. And mm-hmm. I was shocked by how long we were taking on certain things. And then we also had three boys play the role of Billy. So every time we would yeah. get to a certain point, we would have to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So six yeah, but, weeks. Yeah. It's a very long time. Yeah. It's, uh, 
the I think role we did of Billy. 40. Did we do 40 preview performances or 30 preview? I didn't write down that number. I just I want to say we did case. 30 or 40. We did a lot. I mean, yeah, a lot. I mean, it's no Spider-Man, but it, it was definitely a lot, yeah. especially for a show that was kind of already set, had been done. They, they had done it two other times. Yeah. I wonder what it was about Broadway with that set that was so complicated because from what I read, they'd never really had many problems with the set in London or in Australia. And for some reason on Broadway, that set kept fucking breaking during your previews. I don't know what it's about. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it's about either. I mean, it, it would always break down. Typically, the, the point where it would break down was the transition from the angry dance into the riot. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And so like the stairwell would be twisting and he's mm-hmm. up there tapping and yelling and then it would twist down as he would get off. And then he would do another tap move, but then all of a sudden there was holes and traps in the stage because things would then pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's typically the point when it would um, go awry. Um, and it was at the very end of act one, literally there was probably like three or four minutes left of the show mm-hmm. of the act. And um it was always a safety issue, really. I mean, it was because the boy would, if the boy was still out there and the riot hadn't started, there was trap doors open mm-hmm. and there was fog and flashing lights. And so it was always very dangerous. So that's why we would have to stop. Yeah. And it, it's such an inopportune moment for it to stop because it's such like a high point of yeah. aggression and, liter- and drama. Yeah. And literally there's maybe like maybe five minutes left of what is already an hour and a half act, you know, mm-hmm. a very long um a very long act so when it would stop there we would all be like oh yeah yeah to give it some context for listeners in Les Mis during one day more as Marius is saying my place is here I fight with you (laughs) right before Valjean goes one day more that's when you would hear over the speaker hold hold sorry we're in a hole just imagine guys and literally what was it so usually what it would always be i could it's so funny i can as we're talking about this i can picture there was one night where the where the bedroom didn't even spin and come down and david alvarez was just like up there for a very long time for them to you know get it going again and we literally all the entire ensemble is getting ready to riot and we're in the wings like you know getting ready and um and it just would never happen. And, you know, it, it was just such a, I always felt so bad for him. He was out there. They, the audience at one point would kind of, you know, yell and then they would clap. And then, you know, it would, cause yeah. it went on for like a good half hour or so every time it would happen. So uh, yeah. Dreams. I mean, we don't feel bad for David now. He's a movie star. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not we, that I feel bad, you know. No, I, no, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Those Again, poor kids, you know, I was always so protective of them. I'd be like, oh God, these poor kids, like just let them be. I, I, I keep forgetting that like my guests actually have careers to think about. And so I, whenever I'm trolling them, they're like, no, but I also want to make it very clear that what Matt is saying is not true. Everyone needs to know I'm an I'm a I'm an asshole. I'm not a toxic asshole, but I'm like a bitchy asshole. So anything I say regarding my guests thoughts and opinions is not actually true. It's just me being a douche. Um, so we'll talk about what happened after you guys did finally open in a second. But let's talk about the show for a bit because we've gone on for a while and the guests are like, I want the meat. I want where's the beef? So Stephen, what is Billy Elliot about? So for those of you who don't know the story of Billy Elliot, it's about a young boy. I believe he's supposed to be 11. Yeah. Um, is that right? He's 11? 11, 11 and, or 12, um, yeah. He is in the town of Easington, England, which is the Northeast. Is it the Northeast of England? He starts I mean, the dancing. The accent is North, yeah. Yeah, he starts dancing. 
um, you know, at the little Dolly Dinkle school and he likes it. And this, the, um, the teacher um, thinks that he has talent and, you know, gives him support. And at the same time, this is happening. There is, um, you know, the minor strike is happening. Um, the town is basically that he lives in is basically falling apart. Their whole, um, economic structure is based on coal and coal mining and his father is a miner. So there's this whole tension of the town and the future of the town. Um, you know, basically not sure what's going to happen to the future of this whole place. Um, and this boy who's dancing, um, the father has a lot of concern, I would say, um, and they don't understand that he wants to be a dancer. Um, and he goes and auditions for the Royal Ballet School in London, and he is accepted. And, you know, and because I think of the, the, uh, the, what is the word, the, the uncertainty of life, right? And the uncertainty of this town. And the father really sees the love that his child has for this and sees the future in it and sees that there has to be change. And um, it's a really beautiful story. I mean, I don't know that I did the story justice there, but I think that's it in a nutshell, right? It isn't it, is it in a nutshell, yes. You didn't really bring the passion to it the heart, the drive, and the slight comedic sexual edge about it that I was hoping. But other than that, you did a great job. Phenomenal. Beautiful. Steven did just <laughs> laugh there. He laughed silently away from the microphone. So I want everyone to know that he thought it was funny. So you should too. Um, th th that's all really good. Uh, we'll talk more about details now. Yeah, sure. So it is yeah. during the minor strike of 84, 85 when Maggie Thatcher, Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> famously played by Meryl Streep in the Iron Lady, Gillian Anderson, on the crown Which and she back... was amazing right oh my god jillian and is it I gillian actually... is it gillian anderson i, was I it call was her gillian I'm, i think it's jillian but i, I always call She's her gillian. amazing oh my god i don't launch the crown but i do i, I you know. got to just for her i mean she i mean there's so many good things about that show but she was phenomenal well i'm an anglophile and so i like to watch all the things british and for some reason and i couldn't get in wait 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 speaking of billy elliott the first season, Stephen Daldry directed it a lot. And I think there won a Golden Globe, I believe, for his directing in it. I could be wrong, but I know that I don't he think, directed I don't, maybe an Emmy, because I don't think I don't think they have uh, Golden Globes for directing TV, just film. Oh, they but don't. OK, well, then he was there. I remember it's one of the reasons there. why maybe the Golden Globes might get canceled because we don't have directing for TV on the Golden Globes. <laughs> no, but 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 he, he definitely directed episodes in the first season of the yes Crown, for sure uh eventually i'll get it i'll i will get into it i need to get past the first episode just never did it for me so i need to barrel through because i love me some royal family shit i love olivia coleman however i would argue the most famous portrayal of maggie thatcher is bag of chips on season one of drag race uk okay I, i'm not from familiar that with it i'm not familiar well with it. we're both shamed i don't watch the crown you don't watch drag race together we're awful gays so So, yes, Maggie Thatcher, the Maggie Prime Thatcher. Minister of England at this time, she yes. uh, 
eventually successfully, but at this moment, she was trying to shut down the coal mines in England because it was more cost effective to just import it from other countries, uh, cut down on labor and whatnot. And this was a terrible thing to do because there are a lot of small mining towns in England that relied on those jobs. It's what kept their economy going. But Maggie Thatcher just saw the bottom line, the bottom dollar, as Annie might say, and uh, (laughs) attempted to shut them all down as i said eventually successfully but at this moment it was still sort of in the thick of it and the miners unions went on strike for that year in uh, opposition to her and so billy's father and brother are miners who are on strike with most of the men in the town uh it's also important to know that uh billy's mom is dead like Mm -hmm. most disney dead mom mom. like most disney heroines and heroes dead mom Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, like Lydia in Beetlejuice, dead mom. So, <laughs> and he's and he's got a lovely grandmother, Gran, uh, played yes. by Carol Shelley in your production, who is mm-hmm. most iconic for winning a Tony for Elephant Man and also playing Madame Morrible in Wicked. That is correct. Yes, those of you basics who skip her section of The Wizard and I, first of all, how dare you? She's a oh. Tony-winning actress, never skip it, but also don't skip it because she's great. And just l- listen to an actress actressing that verse. She's she was the most she was the best to work with. I love I loved Carol so much. She was so fun and she was she always had a wicked sense of humor and she always had a a funny little thing to say. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) And is it Leah or Leah Hawking? Uh, Leah, 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 Leah Hawking played dead mom in your production, Mm -hmm. who I've talked about her before. I'm going to say it again because she didn't get enough due when I talked about Wild Party. She is May in the Lacusa Wild Party, and she is amazing. It's mm-hmm. For me, that's like luxury casting, of casting mm-hmm. Leah Hawking as dead mom. Yeah. Leah, you know, Leah, <laughs> she was... She was awesome. She was a beautiful dead mom. I, I remember, I can... They, it was, we talk about her, and, like, I can think of the sits probe... And, you know, first of all, we would always cry in all the run throughs of dead mom, you know, when she would come out and do the letter, mm-hmm. it was always a really emotional time, you know, but at this, <laughs> at the sits probe, I could remember just everyone just like, ah, and Leah, I mean, Leah is so sweet. And I, what was so cool about Billy Elliot and working with like Stephen Daldry was that, I mean, his direction was unbelievable and the way he would direct her and he would they would like go over, they would call them Cardi bits. And like, they would do these like different things that she would do with her cardigan while she was standing there. And like how it was just so detailed. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things that I, I never, I'll never forget. They would call them Cardi bits. And there's like, let's talk about, you know, what she's doing here. And yeah, you know, it was just, I loved all that detail. You know? How long was the rehearsal process before you guys went into the theater? Um, I think that I want to say we started July 14th of 2008, the adults. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the kids had probably um, the kids that weren't Billy had probably been rehearsing for a good two weeks or so. And then the Billies were probably rehearsing for like six months before that. Um, And so July 14th, I think we went into the theater to tech September 1st, like I said, Mm -hmm. and then October 1st. So it was a while. Yeah, I was going to say, because something I'm finding with a lot of these shows when it's a British director is the rehearsal process is pretty long. Like with Les Mis Mm -hmm. and with Cats, it was a very long rehearsal process because these directors really um, come from a training of ensemble building and detail work and 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 
often like throwing things at actors that maybe don't make sense in the moment. And then as you get closer to the show, it starts to make sense. One of the famous stories is with Flame is Trevor Nunn's like sits the entire American cast down. He goes, I want you to come back and tell me what cartoon character is your character in the show. And everybody's mm. like, what? Judy Kuhn's like, are we all about to get fired? Is this like, a, is this a prank? And the truth is that it it's things like that where they seem so random. And then because you've done such weird work on your character, you know the ins and outs of it so much. And when the director asks you to make some big, bold choice, you don't have that bl- mental block to be like, well, maybe not this. Like you just kind of go for it. You're like, I've already figured out that like Cosette is, you know, uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Like I might as well right. just you know, try this random thing. And totally. yeah, so I feel like that's very important with a lot of these shows. And Stephen Daldry, as you were saying, very detail oriented. So it's it's those nuances that maybe you don't always pick up on the first viewing, but collectively they create this great. Uh, and also, painting. you know, I just also just, you know, talking about detail and, you know, you know, just understanding of what the story is that we were telling. And I, I obviously don't remember the details of everything right now, but um, the second day or the first day, I think the second half of our day after lunch was we literally watched two documentaries about the strike. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how the rehearsal process started. It was slow. We literally just sat there and watched a documentary and talked about it. And, you know, so that yeah. was the beginning, you know, or, or, the grandma's song number, which is a beautiful number. Um, you know, they had done two productions before, uh, but we didn't, it wasn't paint by numbers in any way. We basically, you know, improv our movement, you know, they put, put us in spots and we would try to improv our movement. And then as I, it got closer, I think that they tinkered with it and got it to where they wanted it to be, but you know, they really, we took the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely a show like this, which is so intricate in its staging and its design and has already been set twice before, Mm -hmm. especially with Broadway. Like it's I feel like it's a little different if you were maybe like set the show uh, for a third production in like, I don't know, Germany or uh, even Australia, which was the second production with Broadway. I think because there's such a huge spotlight on it, you do really want to make it feel as organic as possible. So even though there are things that are kind of set, it's about Mm -hmm. getting your actors to that place rather than be like okay here's your blocking go for it and they is, and they did that and they did yeah. that and and you know whether or not you know we were totally aware of what was happening we all went along for the journey and got there eventually you know i'm one i'm two i'm three i'm four i'm five i'm six Something that is interesting to me with this show is the score and the way it sort of is done with the show. Because so I had to write a review for the cast album a long, long time ago for this website that's trying to chronicle every cast recording and every soundtrack for every musical that's ever been. And when I listen to the score on its own and I watch it in the show, because I did not see the show on Broadway, I actually saw it on the West End, Hair Toss. Uh, around the time you guys were opening. So uh, I felt like I was sort of seeing it as it was opening. I was I was experiencing mm. it for the first time along with other Americans, just, you know, other side of the pond. <laughs> but th- so this is a show, this is a story where the main character is most confident in expressing himself through dance. 
Mm-hmm. And in musical theater, you kind of have to use all the forms to express yourself, speech, dance, singing. So it's the challenge is sort of how do you write a score where the main character is most comfortable through dance? Like, how do you get that character to sing? And the truth is that Billy doesn't sing a bunch. Uh, the other characters sing, but even then, the songs are more entwined with dance than anything else. And so the music on its own, if you were to listen, I feel like if you were to listen to the cast album, as I had to for that review, the songs may seem fine and pleasant, but they don't, you don't get the impact as much as when you watch it on the stage, which is true for a lot of stuff, but especially for Billy Elliot, because the songs, it, this is a good score. It just, it does exactly what it's supposed to do, which is be a springboard for the movement. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's, I mean, I, I feel like Stephen even described it. Stephen Daldry described it mm-hmm. as a play with music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, I also did a regional production later on of it. And and it was cool to see it then because, again, you, I appreciated the writing. The writing is so good and the storytelling is so good. And yes, mm-hmm. the music is a part of it, but the music isn't defi- like isn't something that maybe sticks out as much as it, it just kind of adds to it. Yeah, I give Elton John a lot of credit. He does not make the score is not a score where it's like, here's the power ballad front and center, even something like electricity, which, you know, they've tried to turn into a pop hit and it's like, stop. This is not. Can you feel the love tonight? Elton, stop. But it's like, again, it's a springboard for dance. Like the beginning is really sweet. And if you watch the movie, it that the song title comes from his speech when they ask him, you know, what does it feel like when you're dancing? Just and a monologue, last, really. Yeah, it's yeah, because yeah, it's, it's a monologue in the movie, and they just turn it into a sung monologue yeah. in the stage show, yeah. very, very uh, wisely, I think. And he yeah. says in the movie, the last thing he says is, um, "It, I don't know, it, just, it feels like electricity." And they're like, "Great, that's the song." And bef- before the song becomes too much for him to be singing, he goes into a very big dance where he's able to sort of show what it is that he's feeling, mm-hmm. and then he sings a little bit again as he does a whole big to do. And he does a whole like verse again, or I guess reprise of the chorus, I suppose. And just when you think, okay, so Elton needs to get the last word in, he needs to have him sung. It's like, no, no, no. Because then Peter Darling. some more dancing. I'm going to do some more dance. And then speaking of center stage, he does his Jody Sawyer moment. That's right. Although, Uh, you know, you know, he does do his Jody Sawyer moment, but to all of the Billy's credit, our the stage of Billy Elliot was extremely raked. So mm-hmm. anything that you saw anyone do on that stage was even more challenging than it is on a flat surface. So uh, yes, raked stages are really impressive visually and yeah. awful for your body. Uh, yes. I can imagine when Brett was in Wicked because that's also a raked stage. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how much PT was he probably getting from that show? A lot, a lot. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, just, just standing there, you're like, Always like this, yeah. or I always felt like I was clenching my butt like way more than I had to because just just to feel like I wasn't going to fall forward, you know. I th- Sorry, I, I keep forgetting that we're not we haven't known each other very long. When you said I had to clench my butt more than I, I thought you were about to say than I used to. No, that you know, because as a dancer, more, more you know, than you I use usually do a lot, you know, and. And I was, you know, just like, pull it up. Oh God, don't yep. fall over. Don't fall I was over. clenching my butt more than I usually do. Uh, it's just, <laughs> speaking of Cole. So what is, what is your favorite number in this show? To watch or to do, or just, I don't, from a... just to answer the question. No. Uh, so favorite, num- what was your favorite number to do? And then what was like the most effective number for you 
in the rehearsal process before, like before you sort of saw it all came together, like on its own in like the rough elements of it. So in two separate sections. So um, I think the quick, the quick answer is as, as the show went on and I performed it a lot over and over and over uh, Merry Christmas, Maggie Thatcher was always so fun and mm-hmm. such a good time and everyone was on stage together and you got yeah. to really interact with everybody um and also the process of that number was really fun as well um the when we when they set that number when they first were teaching us things they would go around and um i can't think of the person's name at, at this moment but he was giving um he was like puppet 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 coconut and so like that's how he kind of like gave out who because there was a puppet show at one point yeah. um so we always thought that was funny um but I, I always loved that number doing the show regularly um i think as a spectator um dead mom uh also guys her name is actually billy's mom she's not called dead mom in the show well, in, the pro- in the program she's called dead mom is she yeah i could i could have sworn that she was called billy's mom but maybe I that's just wrong how it, but I, maybe- we always referenced her as dead mom I think that was just you guys. I think I don't, in the program she's called Dead Mom. Look it up. I'm pretty sure. I could be um, wrong, but well, so, I, I I don't have the program on me. I'm gonna have to look at like IBDB or something. Keep talking while I look this so, up because so the the letter I I always loved watching the letter in rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the numbers that we rehearsed. I mean, so 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 much. Oh God. Um, was Grandma song. Um, really to ad nauseum we would rehearse it and uh and i you know literally i think i was we were all in a line right and mm-hmm. most of where i was was like i was second to the last in line and i did the whole number with a lit cigarette um and so i hated rehearsing that especially if they had us light the cigarettes um and it was one of those numbers that i just was like oh my god this is ridiculous the notes that we're getting oh my god if we have to do this get you know and then when i finally saw it from a distance from an as an audience member i was like wow it looks amazing but it was always just like oh my god yeah. we have to do this again what also what steven is 100% right i just looked it is dead mom it's dead mom with a u <laughs> M M U M mom dead mom Bef- yeah, before right? there was Beetlejuice there was Billy Elliot I I can yeah. the audacity to literally call her dead mom and put her yeah. in the playbill as such you know I I don't even I come to think of it I can't even think of is her name I don't think her name is referenced in the script May, like in the musical the, it might be in the movie um but I don't I think don't it think is so. in the in the Broadway show because I feel like we would joke about it we were like what's her name like what (laughs) she doesn't have a name she's like the Totino's Totino's pizza roll character in the SNL sketch that um Mm -hmm. Vanessa Bayer used to do you know wait wait wait. also I love (laughs) I loved you just reminded me I used to love watching uh the scene before angry dance when um Mrs. Wilkinson would come in and calm yourself down son you know and she would um Mm -hmm. Why Tony used to have this line, he would say, This isn't fucking Fraggle Rock, Dad Man. And they changed it to this isn't fucking Disneyland, Dad Man, something mm. like that. But it used to be Fraggle Rock, and we used to think love that. And then they changed it pretty early on to Disneyland because people maybe didn't remember Fraggle Rock. Um, I think with anyways, the accent, it was hard to maybe make out that he was saying Fraggle Rock. Yeah, yeah. This isn't fucking Fraggle Rock, Dad Man. 
That was like one of my most favorite parts. Anyways, that whole conflict, that whole uh-huh. scene with the dad, Mrs. Wilkinson, and then it goes into Angry Dance was always uh-huh. a fun thing to watch rehearse and watch Hayden um, in the beginning when she was doing it. Was, it was cool. It was awesome. I mean, you also have like, yeah, you have four incredible actors on that stage. You have Hayden Gwynn, you have Santino Fontana, Gregory Jabara, and Carol Greg Shelley. Jabara. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, you're watching four great actors be great actors yeah or we you know i have memories of like us doing it's such a small part in the show is um the breakfast scene in the very beginning mm-hmm. i mean we would rehearse that uh, I with mean, all the pasties you, the pasties and us coming in and out the miners coming in and out and mm-hmm. the detail of who touched what and who sat where. I mean, we would, we, it was, it was, we would rehearse it all the time. It was fun. That was a fun thing to rehearse because we didn't, we just ran in and ran out and, you know, yeah. like throwing the, the, throwing the pasty around and it was fun. Yeah. yeah. All in the timing. Well, so I'm actually glad you mentioned that argument scene because so as I was watching the show again, <laughs> literally up until the last second before we recorded this. And as I was refreshing my memory of the movie, uh, the movie's tone is relatively light and more kind of like trying to go for a charming aesthetic. It's very, it's yeah. lighter colors, lighter aesthetic, a light, uh, brighter lighting and more comedic. I would say the show is much angrier and I don't yeah. want to say darker, but it, the it's tone dark. is like, it's dark. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. Very yeah. angry. And that, and that's what I thought when I saw it the first time from the front, I was like, wow, it's so dark, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very angry. Yeah. And the, I mean, the yeah. lighting too, I mean, it's, darkness coming around that scene in the movie like there's tension there but there's a lot more comedic elements to it and you the way that everyone's sort of reacting to billy and billy's on the table it's chaotic but it's not this like harrowing moment whereas in the show it most of the lines have not changed i think like maybe a couple but overall it's just the way that it's done is much more angry and upset yeah yeah mm-hmm. seemed yeah. to like a did a head jolt that yeah, yeah. <laughs> i this is not a visual podcast although i'll probably use one clip from this for uh promotional purposes as you know okay you get promos but i just wanted people to know since uh, i tend to do a lot of things visually and i have to inform my guests what my what uh, inform my listeners what the guests and i are doing that uh is not being carried over into our voices any hoozle. The scene is very intense, very angry, and it's a good representation of the difference between the movie and the stage show. Uh, mm. I was—I don't think they do mention the mom's name. Maybe at the beginning, after Maggie Thatcher, the dad says mentions her name in passing, like that it was the anniversary of her death or something. But mm-hmm. I can't—I honestly can't remember if it was said. It said so quickly that I feel like I would like, remember it too if we knew it. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I, I honestly I don't. Well, I don't you were busy putting on your dance belt. Or you I already was, had it on this one. Yeah. I already had it on. <laughs> uh, he, he, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Um, right. Yeah. I'm also be, re- I don't want to talk about the number very much. It's, I like it. It's not my favorite number, but I just want to give mention to Michael, uh, Billy's best friend who likes to put on outfits. He says, it's not a big deal. Me dad does it all the time. And they have a very cute number called expressing yourself, expressing which yourself. is, yeah. yeah, I would say this is like the most Broadway number in the show. Uh, and it is it's it, it's such I think it's it's a, a very cute number a great number and then it kind of goes into a different direction with the dancing dresses uh, becomes yeah. something completely a little different but yes it is a very sweet number yeah there's um George C. Wolf, who is one of my favorite directors was t- uh, told Janine Tesori when they were working on Carolina Change that the audience always needs something a 
bit of what's called idiot time. We're just mm-hmm. like a mental break for like two minutes just from everything. So they can sort of recharge. And, you know, I always say fun home has welcome to the fun home. That's sort of the idiot time. If you're, if your show is really kind of tight and with it, you can make the idiot time still part of the plot and make the audience not even realize it. But I would argue uh, expressing yourself, especially that tap break with the dancing dresses is the idiot time for the audience before we go back into like the mining and, and Billy's frustration and dead mom. Yeah, and I think, you know, now that you're saying it, I think that's probably the only light musical moment besides Merry Christmas, Maggie Thatcher. But then we're still angry yeah. and yelling at Maggie Thatcher. So. I was about to say, Maggie Thatcher is still pretty dark. I mean, it's, it's, she's a yeah. bop, but she's also like, go fuck yourself. There's literally a lyric where, like, Merry Christmas, it's one day closer to your death. And you know it closer I, yeah. to your death. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go, guys. Original Broadway company right here. Uh, yeah, but I would say like maybe Born to Boogie is kind of also a little bit oh, of that, right. but th- that's more committed to the story. You know, it's the progression of Billy's yeah. Um, yeah. dancing, but the true number that encompasses Billy's progression, as well as the progression of the minors and what is, I'm not even going to say the word perhaps, it is the one of the greatest stage numbers I've ever seen. Going back to that quote from, what's his face from the movie, uh, Gary Lewis. The number, I'm thinking you know what I'm talking about here. Solidarity. Solidarity. There she is. <laughs> Solidarity. She, she yes. is smart. You know, solidarity. Epic, epic, epic number, epic number. And you know, when seeing that number from the outside, you're like, wow, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Doing it on the inside, you're like, wow, this is a very difficult number to do I, all of the time. I'll bet. Were you a policeman or a minor in that number? I was a cop. Yeah, I was a policeman. Okay. Uh, did So did you get to do the, the cops do the slap down to the ground bit, right? Or the, mm-hmm. ha, that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, there's so much in that number that is is truly exceptional. It, it really goes back and forth. The show is also really good. Whereas the movie, the strike is kind of going on in the background. The yeah. show does a really good job of keeping that tension and that danger around. And- yeah. I mean, and you even see it in the, in the way that the show is designed because the show is much more about community and the neighborhood yep. in general. The whole, I mean, the original set was the community center and mm-hmm. things sort of popping in and out from there. But the cops were always sort of a prominent force and the dangers and the violence of the strikes, of the, of the strike, of the one strike uh, is prevalent throughout the show. And solidarity is a perfect number to exemplify that as the as the dance class is happening and the strike is happening they sort of are you know going back and forth and then eventually they intertwine and mm-hmm. the two moments that always give me at well no sorry all of the number gives me chills and a lot of the billy stuff gives me chills him figuring out his the um, attitude the, the attitude. attitude promenade what is yep, she saying yeah. to him there i can't remember it's it's she's um, saying something arm, and then we bust out of the set yeah go ahead and she goes arm wrist, wrist. tummy chin Please, mom, can we have a go? Oh, Let's get right. the pansies, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And then, and then you guys the worst come out. Entrance. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> I love that. I, I love everything about it. Baskets of pansies, ladies. But we, we see sort of Billy's progression there, and that all is really uh, chill-inducing. But in terms of 
actual staging moments where I'm like, my God, Stephen Daldry and Peter Darling must have like gotten shit face after they came up with these moments because they were like just so proud of themselves. The mm. first one is when it, everything starts to really combine and the girls are dancing on the knees of the miners and the policemen. Yeah. Well, so a scene is happening between Billy's dad and the guy who teaches boxing because yep. he thinks Billy's dad thinks that Billy's been going to boxing lessons, but he hasn't. And That's the right. teacher's like, he's not coming to boxing while the girls are doing the lesson in, on them. Yep. They're saying and goes, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, yep. And they go, if he hasn't yeah. been at boxing, where has he been? Solidarity, solidarity. It's so, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. Yep. So and then my other favorite moment is when you guys do the slap, the hoo ha, and yeah. the girls come in with the chairs and do the ooh, and, and one, one, two, and three, two. and two, two, and three. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like, I remember seeing it at the theater because I had I had not listened to the cast recording. I did not see any visuals of the show. And I went, this was on my uh, second trip to London with my sister who likes theater, but she's not me. So she like, with the fact that we had tickets to Billy Elliot and we were like fourth row center, she didn't really understand what we, that like, this was a moment. But even she was like, oh my God, like, this is so cool. I was like, I know. We were sitting there like, I can't, like, this number is so fucking cool. And when they did that one, two, three, I just remember being like, this is one of the best stage things I've ever seen. And I don't know the next time I'm going to see something as well done as this number. Um, Yeah, because, you know, I mean, it does all of the things that you want a musical to do, right? It tells the story, it dances, it sings, and it does it all so well and it furthers the plot and you don't even know what happened and then you learn all of these things you're like great yes Uh, and then and done done and done it also slaps and it creates that tension the tension of the minor strike and it keeps it in the forefront and i think that that's what's so important and that's why the show is so good because there's always that tension and that like looming thing that's about to happen and and whether it's like billy's like like the reason why he he dances and wants to get out of town or not um it almost feels like because of the tension it makes him want to dance more and that's why he leaves you know it pushes him out uh last technical thing about this number that just also makes me jizz myself is towards the end because it also has a very beautiful broadway finish but it's when everyone comes together and mrs wilkinson says the prepare for it oh, right. what are the actual yeah. words she says it's something prepare and then everyone shouts finish and gets finish. into position that right. finish is just something because it's it's that moment where everything just sort of combines because everything's been blending together at this point but that's where everyone says and does the exact same thing at the exact same moment and it's like that's right it makes you want to get pregnant like it's just so good oh right um, when, when we say finish everyone's dancing and we go finish and then we all walk forever 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 and then then that's yes okay yes that's not even the very end of the number there's still like the whole walking oh no and then it's, he no, turns it's not the button then, yeah. it's not the button yeah. it's just it's preparing you for the button and it makes totally, me totally yeah it literally impregnates me every time so <laughs> um i mean i know we could talk about the show a lot more but we do have um we have to start wrapping things up because steven has things to do so we didn't get to talk about this as much as i wanted however We'll we'll fin- we'll just get, we'll get through as much as we can in, uh, for the rest of this. But that being said, there's also something about the ending of this show that really gets to me. So okay, the only thing in the show, there's just the two things in the show that I don't necessarily like, and one in which I think the movie does it a little bit better. I don't like the song "He Could Be a Star." Um, 
And I'm going to ask you in a, in a second what song you would cut from the show. Not just yet. We're going to get this in the into the final questions. Just because it's a moment where I understand why they made it a song. It, on paper, it's like, sure, there needs to be a number here for the dad and the brother to like really kind of figure it out. I just think it works better as a dramatic scene. Uh, the other thing that I think the movie does a little bit better is Billy's getting into the Royal Ballet. Because in the show... They, they all find the letter. It's all, you know, it's a lot of stage business. I do like the joke where he's like, William Elliot is queer. Esquire. Esquire. Like, wow. that's a good, that's like, <laughs> listen, that's funny. But yeah. when Billy reads the letter, he like throws in the garbage. He goes, I didn't get in. And then the brother reads it. And he's like, you twat, you did get in. Mm-hmm. It's cute. The movie is a little more um, uh, personal and just really sweet and wholesome. I don't know if you remember how they do it in the movie. But I uh, they, but so I they, do, I do remember in the show thinking that moment was dragged out a bit, right? Because he goes up the stairs and the set would spin. Yeah, I mean it was like yeah. In the in the movie, he comes home. The letters on the table. They all they are just sort of sitting there quietly waiting for him to grab it. Wait. He takes it. He goes into his room, shuts the door. Shuts the door. Yes. And he opens it, and then he just once he finishes reading it, because you, you don't know what happens, he sits on his chair. And starts like rocking and crying. And so you think he didn't get in and everyone hears the crying and they like open the doors, like ready to comfort him. And they, and he looks up and he goes, I got in. And then the dad, and then it cuts to the dad running down the street, like running to the community center and shouting, he fucking did it. And it's just so wonderful. And I, I know you can't like really show him running down the street in the show, but I loved that moment. And I thought, while I do love the is queer Esquire joke, that's a funny joke. Keep her. I just mm-hmm. never liked the whole dragging out of it and Billy being like, I didn't get in. Yes, you did. Like, it doesn't do it for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, one more thing That's about fair. the show. Thank you. Fair. That's the show fair. also has kind of a weird, fair, has a sort of bittersweet ending, whereas the movie's a little more triumphant. The movie flashes forward to when he's in Matthew Bourne's Swan Lake mm-hmm. and his dad and his brother are coming to see him and the dad's like crying with joy. The show ends with Billy leaving the town on his way to the school, to the school. And sort of knowing that now that the strike is over and that the majority of his town's going to be unemployed the next time he comes back and what's going to become of everyone. It's yeah. It's that bittersweetness of like, he's going off and he's about to probably have a better life. Whereas everyone he's leaving behind is about to be worse off. Yeah. Um, and the movie kind of cuts away before we can ever really acknowledge any of that and just goes straight to like 10 years later when he's doing really well. And I like that triumphant moment in the movie, but I also like the bittersweet moment of the show. There's room for both. Yeah. This, this, this show is so sweet. I mean, the, the little, the kids, didn't they kiss in the aisle? I mean, he kisses them on the cheek. stage. He, he, Billy's. Yeah. I think the first time anyone ever is in the audience in Billy Elliot is at the very end. Billy like walks off the stage up the aisle. It's like to his future. Yeah. And then Michael, little gay, Michael comes on and he's like, bye Billy. And Billy comes back and kisses him on the cheek and says, I'll see ya. And then Michael says, I'll see ya. And Michael gets the last line, which I love. That's queer representation. Way to go. Yeah. Um, and then there's like the longest of curtain calls, which is so much mm-hmm. fun, but she is 35 minutes long. <laughs> and that that's a shorter version. There was even more of it in previews and they cut it. Well, I'm sure. Well, we love some stage time and I'm sure you guys were like overtime, maybe overtime, overtime, overtime. Well, yeah, I mean, the show is coming in over three hours. So we there was constantly trying to cut it and, you know, 
pick up cues and yeah, to keep you guys stuff. from getting your overtime. And you're like, yeah. I would love some overtime, but also like I'm tired and maybe don't also, have this. I need a life. Yeah. yeah. Three hours of a show is long enough. Yeah. This is not Les Mis. This is not the inheritance. Uh, the show, as you well know, opened November 13th, 2008 at the Imperial Theater. I don't know if anyone told you, Stephen, you guys got some pretty good reviews. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the critics kind of liked you and I think audiences did too. You, uh, you got some Tony nominations out of this. You got some yes, wins. You did. got, maybe got, yeah. you can maybe got 10 wins. Do you remember the other three shows you were up against? Um, next to normal rock of ages and was Shrek. No, Shrek wasn't up for best musical. Was yes, it? It was musical. It was okay, up for best like, musical, baby. All flops. Was nine all to of five. Them. Nine to five was that season. It wasn't nominated. Uh, Dolly got her nomination for score and That's Allison right. Janney That's got right. nominated. But you know what? Nine to five. Forget her. She's a flop. She's garbage. She's trash. Next to normal. <laughs> next to normal. Stupid. Shrek. No, obliterated. next to normal is amazing. Come on. No, next to normal is great. I do remember at the time because um, while I am not young, I am younger than you. So I was I know I know. You're I'm you're approaching daddy area and I'm like still trying to hold on to I'm my not approaching I've, I'm 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 in daddy area yeah he's wearing the glasses and let's just say it's giving us sexy Mr. Rogers vibes uh but I'm trying to hold on to my twinkdom for all yes, of your life hold what? on to it hold on to it hold on to it for all I can that said the debate that year with a lot of the people that I was friends with because I was 19 around the Tony Awards for this time was the debate of Next to Normal and Billy Elliot. And Next to Normal was sort of considered like a very different new kind of show, different subject matter and a score that we hadn't heard in so long uh, with like rock elements and it's all these things. I personally feel there is room for both and I love them both very dearly. I weirdly feel like Billy Elliot has actually aged quite well in the last 10 years and Next to Normal, the score has still maintained, but I feel like the way it approaches mental health has not aged super well has actually kind of made it uh, a little jagged around the edges. And Billy Elliot for me is a show where, especially that production was, not only was it a lovely story, but it was also about like what you can do in the theater, how you can tell a story. That's what I've been finding with a lot of these British shows is it's about storytelling as much as it's about the story. Mm -hmm. um, so with your dance with Billy, which if you want to give us some any insight before we peace out today, uh, beautiful. And it's just, it's, the moment is something that you can't even really articulate because it's just such a theatrical visual moment. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. pure theater in a way that I feel like if uh, you tried to kind of deconstruct it, you would kind of weaken the impact of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you want to know about it? What do you want to know about I it? I don't know. Were you really twirling the tw chair? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, okay. yes. Because sometimes, guess what? The chair would fall. <laughs> illusion shattered. Uh, of the Billies that you had to dance with, who was the biggest flop? Uh, oh, I can't say that. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, I, I think on Broadway, we had 16 Billies. Overall, um, yeah. Over the three years. And, you know, it's interesting. In the beginning, the first three or four Billies, the first four, I, I felt like I knew quite well because we mm -hmm. did the rehearsal process together. So we had time to like talk and know each other and all that. Mm -hmm. And we went through the whole opening of the show together. And then as time went on, you know, I felt like I didn't know the kids that well. And, but we would rehearse constantly. I mean, I knew them in rehearsal, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we would rehearse all the time. Um, and you know, those kids, 
they work their butts off, you know, they work their butts off. And I, you know, my heart would always just go out to them. If I could tell they were just exhausted. I was like, oh, yeah, poor. like, and I was always tired. So I was like, God, what do they feel like? You know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, so I, I do want to say this as we uh, head to the finish line. So yes. Billy Elliot, you know, obviously because of child labor laws in the UK, there had to be multiple Billies, but also there was no way there wasn't going to be multiple Billies just because of the demands of the role. And yeah. something that they talked about with casting was, and you can maybe discuss anything you have with experience to this, the Billy Elliot camp, where it became not just about like, this kid needs to have all the things they're like, okay, we're not going to find a 12 year old boy who can tap his face off, dance his face off, do gymnastics, all these things. Like he has to have some of it, but we will teach him the rest. So sort of like an investment, they would find someone like a year or two before they intended to have them go be Billy and be like, okay, you're going to learn these things over the next two years. And then you're going to be Billy. So there was a whole, I mean, the show was very expensive to run. I think when it was announcing that you guys were closing, part of the discussion of the closing was like, it's just a very expensive show. Like we are doing better business than a lot of Broadway, but because the running cost is so high and we don't want to cut corners, we're going to like close this now before we lose any money. But if, you know, this were running like a normal Broadway show, you guys probably would have run like twice yeah, as I mean, long. I, yeah, exactly that. You're exactly right. I mean, they were constantly rehearsing the kids and they had a whole system set up to get them ready. So that was just like constant, however much they had to pay for that. And then, you know, what's interesting too is uh, we closed in January of 2012 um, in September of 2011, um, we actually, they started kind of reworking things. They mm. rewrote, re, um, were changing dialogue. They were kind of watering down some of the dialogue, um, to make it a little bit more family friendly, mm-hmm. um, to see if that could help some sales, you know? Sure. So, you know, that was a weird moment because what was so great about Billy Elliot, right. Was that it was so raw and real. And so it felt very strange to be all of a sudden kind of watering down language that had, you know, made those characters who they were. Yeah, I don't I don't approve of watering down. And it clearly having it be the way it was worked so many other places. I mean, it ran for 11 years on the West End and, yeah. you know, it's considered like their crowning glory over there. I, th- I guess, you know, the producers just had very little faith in American audiences, as they should, because yeah. we as a country allowed the beauty and the beast remake to gross over half a billion dollars here that is is that true that is true and it's gross and it's stupid and it's insane we as a country allowed that movie to be super successful and i will never forgive us but so they we i have them to blame for that movie and for billy elliott uh thinking that it needs to get watered down to be more successful. And I mean, honestly, the reason why it's the show has aged so well, if, if you've you, obviously you just watched it is because the writing is so good. I mean, the writing is, really is good. so good. It's like, you can't, it's just, it's, it is so heartfelt, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't condescend either. So like we were talking about dead mom and her letter. I love the moment when you realize that Billy has the letter memorized because mm-hmm. the way that it's sort of the idea has been introduced isn't this like big treacly thing it's you know mrs wilkinson's reading the letter it's the coming up with a dance for his audition for the royal ballet and finding things that mean a lot to him can of beans mm-hmm. things like that and <laughs> one of the things is his dead mom's letter and mrs wilkinson's reading it and she's finished one sentence and i guess she's sort of like taking a breath before she gets text uh says the next sentence and Billy, not even looking at the letter, he's like, he says, 
which is because he knows what the next sentence is. He has the whole thing memorized. And it's not this moment where it's like, you have it memorized. Like, it's just so quiet. It's similar to the movie when he gets in and how they sort of treat that moment. That like mm-hmm. the way they do that moment with the letter is what I wanted them to do when he gets accepted into the school. Mr. Stomping and your shouting. last thing and then we'll go to our questions here in the theater talk video that i found and for anyone who wants to watch it it's all on youtube it's stephen daldry and michael riedel and susan haskin haskins susan haskins sorry susan susan says um sorry is it susan uh yeah susan haskins susan mentions that the story has an element that makes it an allegory to the lgbtq community about sort of this queer narrative of, you know, acceptance and and whatnot. And there's a minute where Michael Riedel tries to kind of dismiss it. And he's like, just because you like ballet doesn't mean you're gay. And she was like, that's not what I'm saying. And anyone who just heard what I said knows that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Which, first of all, I say, we're queen. Second of all, I know that you and your husband kind of like Disney. Yes. As we all do. yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely more of a Disney fan than I am, and I have always liked it. And since we've been together, I've obviously grown to really love it as well. Yes. I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast for years now knows that Brett likes it because that was yeah. literally his obsession. That was his, yeah. what his episode was about. But yeah. I don't think he, I don't remember if we talked about it. No, we did talk about it because uh, we did talk about it there. The reason why, in my opinion, so many uh, people in the queer community really kind of gravitate towards Disney, why we have the Disney gay, let's say. I feel like it really kind of begins with the Renaissance, right? With Little Mermaid, which is right behind your shoulder, because once again, Brett did the damn thing. Yeah. Uh, Wait, let's see the Billy Elliot. Where is the Billy? Oh, it's like way up there. Uh, uh she's up in the clouds. Yeah. Uh, look, would, would you look at that? Steven's credits are built a little higher than Brett's credits. <laughs> well, no, his are just more in line with the computer. Well, this no, that's true. Not true. No, there's there's yeah. Paris. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I see what you mean. But with Mermaid onwards, there was a mm-hmm. structure to the stories with Renaissance films, which was here's our society. Here's how society works. Here's our protagonist. They don't fit into society. By the end of this movie, either society will learn how to accept them or they will find a new society to be accepted into. So Mermaid, it's about King Triton understanding that Ariel's road to happiness does not mirror his own. Beauty and the Beast, it's about the town finally accepting that like Belle's a little strange. Aladdin is finding a place in the world finally and being told and showing like, I'm not just what you think of me and that stigma. And that, that idea of, uh, that theme in, that, in those stories, I feel like is very applicable, applicable or ap- applicable to Billy Elliot. I I don't know how to say words. I know words, but I don't know how to pronounce them. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Applicable. Applicable. Yeah. Listen, I went to PCS, which is where the dancers went. We didn't we didn't <laughs> go because right. we were great students. We went because we were professional. So That's right. <laughs> Billy we were Elliot. Paid. <laughs> yes, we were getting we were getting paid to do these things while everyone else was learning algebra just for shits and giggles. So with Billy Elliot, it's a similar idea where it's about yeah. the stigma. It's about the society. It's about all of that, which is what Susan was trying to discuss. Right. And I feel like that is why the story kind of 
holds up in so many ways because there's a lot of detail stuff about it that um makes it work still and keeps it from being just like any old other story with the minor strike and whatnot but the themes of community and uh acceptance and challenging the norm is where it really kind of allows you to connect to it these shows I've been saying this a lot with these British shows, people keep talking about how like British works are much more intellectual and there are definitely those things. I mean, most Tom Stoppard plays, I would argue, uh, make no sense unless you have a PhD in literally everything. But things like Billy Elliot and Les Mis, you know, like they they hit you in a very emotional spot in ways that not all American shows can at the same time. Uh, yeah, I mean, as someone who was in the thick of it, who was in the damn thing, who did the damn thing, can you talk for a second just a second because i know we gotta we truly have to wrap this up steven's like i have things to do can you talk for a second about your relationship to the show in that respect and then maybe any feedback you got from audiences in regards to uh the story and and these themes yeah i mean it's interesting i i i think the story i mean for me personally it, it it i mean billy is not gay but you know he is misunderstood and doesn't fit in and wants to pursue his dream um so i mean i can totally identify with that on a personal level um and i think that that's why anytime i've seen the show or seen the movie um it's pretty emotional because especially now as i get older you know you just reminisce it's just like a reminiscent thing and then it's also a reminiscent thing about being in the show and all of the people that you know it brings up but i you know i think it's such an important show especially for boys um because you know i grew up with annie and um but annie was a girl so you know so it was kind of weird for that to be like the the hero right for me mm-hmm. right or not weird but people made fun of me or you know sure yeah it wasn't accepted said, society yeah, did it, not understand yeah. it for sure society didn't get it for sure especially in the 80s or early 80s or whatever but you know i think it's an important you know message and i think that people just love it because either they can understand where that boy is what he's going through or because it's a little boy and he's so darn cute you're like Oh my God, you have to feel for him, right? If you yeah. don't, like something is wrong with you as a person, I think. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, and it's just so well told. And I think, I think the change in the dad and um, seeing the dad get emotional and seeing the acceptance of the dad, I mean, isn't that what we all want? I mean, at the end of the day, like I always know that if my parents, love me and accept me like that always means the world to me you know so i mean that's what people are looking for they want to feel love and to see that billy gets to go out and do what he wants and is accepted by his town you know how could you not like it absolutely Um, there was a second part to your question and i had an answer uh yeah it was like if when you were in the show if there if you oh right could speak on like any Uh, sort of fan reception yeah i mean I still, to this day, if I, if I see people that have seen the show and either they know that I was in it or they find out that I was in it and then they realize what part of the show that I was, um, they're like, oh my God, you know, they instantly, um, love, you know, have fond memories of it and were emotional. And they were like, you made me cry. And, um, that always makes me feel good. And, you know, it, it, it even reminds me of like, 
being a part of that show, I was always so proud to be in it because A, it was really good, but B, like I was proud to represent, it was like really a part of me, you know, it was like, I was mm -hmm. representing myself that was actually a part of this thing that this character wanted to be. And I, I was proud to do it. And it, it's always nice to hear people who have that memory of crying through the number, yeah. um, you know, and sometimes I cried through the number of them, but for other reasons, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's mostly the, the feedback I've always gotten is, um, you know, that was like their, their most memorable scene in, in the show or, or they cried. And so I always felt, feel good when people told me that they cried. So, <laughs> and then you, and then you said to them, if you think that's something I was also in center stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's usually what I say. Next. Um, have no, you it, seen center <laughs> Have you yeah. seen Center Stage? I'm, I'm in that. But, I would have to like literally point you out if you say, but yes, girl. The I fact was, like, that you just I was still like going through puberty and had pimples on my face and was still like not the same height that I am now. I was still growing. <laughs> oh, what privilege! I stopped growing at 17. What fucking privilege you have! So I was just a really late bloomer. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I wish I could say, no, I was a late bloomer too. No, no, this isn't about me. This is about okay. us. And this is about Billy. <laughs> Billy Elliot. Yes. Billy Elliot. Uh, yes. And all of what you said is so important and very true. And I agree with all, with all of it. I will say again, if you watch the movie after having been, after, after having watched the show, know that the movie is very much its own thing while it still follows certain plot points the same. And, the, but the themes are still very true acceptance and support from your family and do not judge Jamie Bell for not being able to do electricity the idea of Billy in the stage show is a little different from Billy in the movie. Whereas in the movie it's in the stage show, it's he's truly more of like a dancing prodigy. He does like mm -hmm. the things which comes from in theater. You need a bit more of that polish to get yeah. the story across. Whereas in the movie, it's a little more realistic that he is not a beautiful dancer. It's more that he has the potential and he has mm -hmm. the talent and he has the passion and for it. So when we see him at the very end as an adult going on stage in Swan Lake and doing that really great leap i don't know what it's called when when one foot goes into in and the other one goes out what's that called what's that called mr dancing man i'm not sure i would just yeah i don't it's, know it's, maybe a yeah. stag maybe a stag leap we great would call that. yeah i don't maybe. know i didn't i didn't go to ballet school you can't dance the ballet belly that when he does that it's beautiful wait, wait, wait. Like, i have a really funny memory you know the scene <laughs> the scene that you don't like i think it's the scene you don't like the um in london when <laughs> But before he does electricity, he was like, what's yeah. that, Billy? It's me tape, a tape, what tape, a tape, a tape for me dance, a yeah. tape. They like yeah. the, the rehearsal process for that. I like scene. that scene. No, I know. But it was so I could remember days of just going, <laughs> what is that, Billy? A tape, a tape, a tape, a tape for me dance. <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. They would just say tape like constantly. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. It's like, come on, people get to the fucking point. There's I, my friend Chelsea and I have a bit with that show, which I don't even think it's an actual interaction in the show, but we just and we would always just say to each other, I want to dance the ballet, dad. You can't dance the ballet, Billy. <laughs> I don't think there's ever a moment in the show where that is said, but that's just like it's not. But that's so funny. Yeah, but I think that sort of wraps up act one in the first half of act two in a in a in mm. two lines. Um, yes. We didn't even really mention how like the dad goes back to work for the miners once he sees Billy dance, which is a beautiful yeah. moment. Because mm -hmm. until then, he's like, you can't dance the ballet, Billy, because ballet is for poofs and for girls. And then he sees Billy dance and like he just immediately runs off stage 
and goes to Mrs. Wilkinson. He's like, how much does it cost? What can and then I he do? goes to work yeah. again. Yeah. What can I do? I'm going to work again. And it's beautiful in both the show and the movie. Cause oh God, I everyone, if you have Broadway HD, you can watch Billy Elliot live. Also, I'm pretty sure there is video, not legal, but video of the show from Broadway online. You can see Steven do his whole thing. He's not shirtless. They decided not to go with that, <laughs> but also rent the movie at some point. Cause the movie is truly lovely. The movie All is right. great. Steven, this has been wonderful. And we have to wrap this up because you've got shit to do. Brett's like, my husband was supposed to be back 30 minutes ago. Um, four questions <laughs> for you. I didn't realize. Okay, okay yes, go ahead. No, no, what did what, what did I was going to say? I mean, there's so much to talk about with the show and like about what it's about. And then like, mm-hmm. I could talk about my experience of the show because it was three years of my life. So listen, <laughs> listeners, this this episode doesn't we're recording this at the end of August. I think this comes out in October. If you want more, reach out to both me and Steven, pressure him, and we will do a part two where we can really talk even more about this because we've talked about it a lot. But when yeah. we just know right before we recorded, Steven was like, I think like, you know, I have, we should probably be done like an hour and 15. And I was like, <laughs> sure, Jam. And you were, you sure. actually looked at me like, well, I don't know if I could get that done. I, I kind of, yeah. I, I, and then he was like, hour and a half. I was like, okay, I think okay. we can do an hour and a half. Right, it's, right, yeah, right, which, is an, right. which is what it is now. Anyway. So four questions. Yes. Far too many notes for my taste. If you had to cut one song from the show, what would it be? Uh, um, I don't know that it would be a song. I think that you I would have. tape? No, 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 no. Not that. I would have. There are three endings to the show, right? After he sure. sings Electricity, there's still like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always say there's got to be something they could they could have cut or changed there. Yeah, they could probably cut. Um, we used to be kings in half. It goes on for a while. Uh, oh, in the end, yes. Yeah. Um, and then also in the beginning, uh, at one point in previews, we cut almost, I think, a verse of "And the Stars Look Down," mm-hmm. and then Lee Hall came after being gone for a little bit and came back and was like, "Why are my lyrics cut?" Or what, you know, and so we had to put it back in. <laughs> That's the creative process. So Stephen did not officially answer the question. He was like, "I don't know. There's something I would cut." Uh, I would figure out a way to tighten up the ending. It was yeah, thir- the ending. He would tighten the ending. I would cut. He could be a star. I would just make that a scene. I just think that. Well, I mean, be- in, so I will say I hear what you're saying, but it was it's also a very good moment. I mean, it is basically a scene. They're singing the the dialogue to each other. Right? Yeah, it's just it's a it's a little too. Um, my God, Cosette, I heard a cry in the dark. I heard some angry voices <laughs> shouting. It's just a little to that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. for a show that doesn't really have that same musical vocabulary, like whereas Lame is, mm. you don't laugh because until then everyone's been singing. Yeah. But so it's a little more difficult You're when it's right. just like. And then it's yeah. also, it's that that song and then that scene where they're collecting the money. Yeah. That, that <sighs> kind of goes on for a long time. Yeah. Too. yeah. It's, a, it's a very long moment, especially if you have actors really feeling themselves and they're like, let's go on for a while. Pauses, pauses, pauses. You're like, come on, hurry up. Let's go. What time is it? We got to go. <laughs> yeah. We know we've talked. I've already talked about this, but yeah. Patty LaPone Gypsy was 45 minutes longer than it should have been because of all the fucking pauses. So <laughs> next question. Rainbow yes. High Spectacle. Does this show need production value to work? No, absolutely not. Agreed. It needs production value in terms of the dance and the staging, but you don't need impressive sets. No, no I mean, not at all. I mean, the set the set that we had, uh, it, it was probably super expensive and very obviously intricate because it broke down all the time, but <laughs> it didn't actually need to be there. And it also looked like kind of a piece of crap, you know, the way it was painted and everything. Yeah. yeah. So no, yeah. absolutely not. 
Agreed. That's a question that I have just because with, again, British musicals, people are like, eh, it's all about the spectacle. Uh, no, that was a case where I'm like, no, the spectacle was the in, was the inventiveness of the of the staging and the heart of the writing. Yeah. I dreamed a dream cast. Who would you like to see in this show in any role at any point? Oh, man. Oh, God. I don't know. I would like to see Greg. No, Greg Jabara, Hayden Quinn. Um, <laughs> what, what What would you like to see? Hayden Gwynn. I just called her Hayden Quinn. Hayden Gwynn. No. Um, Hayden Gwynn. Wouldn't you want to see Carol Burnett as uh, Mrs. Wilkinson? Yeah, like I guess from like 20 years ago. Oh. Um, well, right, first of all, be, she because right now um, Wilkinson's supposed to have like 10-year-old daughter Debbie. And it's like we love Carol. That bitch did not pop out a kid 10 years ago. What about um Carrie Mulligan as um as Wilkinson? As, uh, Mrs. Wilkinson, yeah. I like to, so if we're if we're truly doing Dreamcast. I think I like to see Carrie Mulligan as dead mom. I think she has, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, she's yeah, got good, like, I, can you imagine Carrie Mulligan coming out and doing yes. Cardi bits? Yes. Do you think Cardi B got her name? Cause she was secretly a fly on the wall of Billy Elliot. And she was like, and she's like Cardi bits, Cardi B. Well, I'm Cardi, like B. Cardi B. Maybe Cardi B could be um, Mr. Braithwaite or some, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh I was trying to think of like some child actor. Oh, um, Jacob, Jacob Tremblay. Give him some dance lessons and have him be. Who is Jacob? I don't know who that is. Who is that? He's the little boy in room. He just did. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, totally. He could totally yeah. be Billy. Yeah, he's yeah. in a bunch of stuff. He's going to be Flounder in the Little Mermaid remake. Yeah, all that good stuff. Do, would you, I'm trying to think of like other Broadway people. Um, like who, so, like a cool, I, like I'd like, to, I'd like to see Jennifer Samard as Mrs. Wilkinson at one point. I think she'd yeah, be fun. Yeah, that is really, that. Yes, I love Jen Samard. I mean, honestly, when in doubt, just cast Jen Samard in anything. She can, yes. I mean, and she can sing. Yes. I mean, we're talking truly like dream, like vocal luxury casting. Yeah. She's like, can yeah, I take yeah, this yeah. up the octave, please? I'm bored. <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah, bored that's here. Great. That's actually great casting. Who would you Thank cast you. as? As um as dad um. I would, uh, so I would, I, again, I would go actor first because it's not much of a singing role. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's something about Greg Jabara, which was so great of just like, he has that face where even when he's angry, you still feel like he's just kind of like a sad little puppy inside. Yeah. Um, uh, who else would I cast? Because also like, I don't know, a lot of actors I, who are the right age are a little too like, Vogue model cut for me, and I'm like, I right. want someone like Colin Farrell, right? Like a Colin Farrell. As <laughs> yeah. That. Part of me was like Clive Owen. I'm like Clive Owen. I would be too no. distracted of wanting him to break my arm. I Colin, I would not. Colin Farrell, like Colin Farrell, right? Yeah, that's kind of Colin the same. Farrell, that's yeah. the same kind of vein. Yeah. Um, and then uh, who would be Tony? Tony could be um Robert Pattinson. No, I don't. <laughs> no. Well, now we're just going with movie actors. We're not even talking about Broadway people. Uh, people um today let's see well because i guess tony has to kind of be a little like rough and mm-hmm. and and like i don't know I, I keep thinking of like the santino fontanas and the will chases in the world who are just like men <laughs> well you know what's funny is that sent her santino um will chase was you know i think tony is probably only supposed to be like 20 or maybe yeah, it's just like 2021 yeah and Will Chase was not 20. <laughs> no, he was he was 40. much older. 
but you know, moisturizer is God's gift. <laughs> no, I know, but he was not 20. So I mean, no. it could really be, um, it could be anyone really. Yeah. Part of me, part of me kind of wants to go against type and not have it be this like really big, uh, like manly dude and have yeah. someone who's a little more youthful energy and just a lot of like, like someone like Taylor Trench, I feel like a would oh, make sense as yes. a brother, as an older brother. And also yeah. I Taylor has like intense energy that I think mm. really would translate well. That's Tony. very good casting. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I love Tony also, that. Thank love you. That. Cause t- I should listen. I could be a director. I could be a casting director. I could be all these things. Taylor um, is so good. I mean, yeah, he would be brilliant. Yeah. All right. You guys did Dolly together. I keep forgetting that. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep forgetting you were in Dolly because you did not spin a chair in Dolly. And right. therefore I just and, spun my body and then left. <laughs> and then listen, spinning your body is supposed to spinning a chair. Hello, Dolly. Flop. Garbage. Get her out of here. We don't need her. Bette Midler. Trash. So, Kate Baldwin is no. dead mom. Dead mom. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I, I need, because of, it's the Leah Hawking of it all, I need like, I want luxury vocals. And I want someone with the face of an angel coming out, playing with her cardigan and being like, I'm from heaven. That so. And that wig, her blonde wig. Steven no, just did the most ingenuity of shoulder shrugs. All right, last one. Scale of one to 10. How does the show rank personally for you? One to 10? Yeah. One being no way, 10 being now and forever. <laughs> I would give it, oh God, now, now I feel pressure because I was in it. I, I, I think it, it's, it's like between, I think an eight, an eight. Yeah. It's between an eight and an eight. So that would make it eight. <laughs> no, an eight and a 10. I would give it okay. eight and a 10. You know. Okay. Is eight? Yeah, sure. That's good. That eight is a wonderful number. I will, I will. I feel guilty I say, not giving it a 10. Should I give it a 10? I would give it a 10. I'm giving it a 10. Don't know. First of all, Stephen Daldry's not listening to this. Second of all, it don't matter. It's your personal journey. And also like eight is, first of all, anything above a six, in my opinion, is a passing grade. So, and then once you get past like 7.5. I would give it an eight because after I did the show for three years, I never wanted to hear or see or anything about it ever again. And -hmm. then I did a regional production of it like a couple years later and I saw the first run through and I I called Brett, my husband, and, and I was like, wow, this show is really good. It's so well written. I'm so glad I've gotten to see it again because I just wanted to never... Hear yeah, it or see it again, you know. Well, it's so, like the food yeah. poisoning thing, where it's, you when mm-hmm. you do something for so long, it just sort of yeah. becomes irritating after a while. So I'm glad that it still holds that place in your heart. Yeah. Stephen, this has been lovely. Thank you for indulging me longer than you ever anticipated. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm almost positive you're going to come back on to talk about this further because I hope there's so. so you know, I think I hope that I gave like some good insight. I feel like I don't know what I really added to it, but I hope that I helped. I think you did. The only thing that you did wrong was assume this was going to be 75 minutes. But now that you know, <laughs> we're going to put aside more time for the next episode. That having right. been said, Stephen, where can people find you if you want them to find you? You can find me at Stephen Arhanna on Instagram. And I'm one half of the Broadway husbands on Instagram. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And yes. don't follow that account unless you're very confident in yourself and your life because you will watch it and you will cry into a box of chocolates. Uh, And luckily for me, I'm very confident in myself, which is why I follow you guys. Uh, 
if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at Matt Coplick, the usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can write us a review, subscribe to it, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, uh, fuck off. Uh, I keep telling people if they don't like what I have to say, they can write a review telling me so. Just make it five stars. And now I'm like, no, just just stop listening and fuck off and go, I don't know, listen to Las Culturistas if that's what you want. Uh, So we close out every episode with a Broadway diva. I always add it in post. I think because we've discussed her quite a bit today and I didn't get to have us close her out with her for Wild Party, I'm going to have us close out with Miss Leah Hawking. Aww... What if I, I was like, Leah, <laughs> who doesn't love Leah? What if I was like, we're closing out with Carol Shelley's verse from Wizard and I. I love that too. And Carol. Oh. No, I, I I love, I love her. I told you, I listened to that verse. I'm, I don't ever skip it like most people, but that being said, I, I fully want the world to give Leah more time. And so. they should. I hope, I hope, I hope they do. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to close out, close out with Miss Leah Hawking. Join us next week, guys, as we continue with uh, Matilda, that wonderful British show, speaking of children and the dancing and the things and the stuff and the people. <laughs> Stephen just did all the hand jerky movements from uh, Revolting Children. That's that's the clip. That's the clip I'm going to use for video promos. <laughs> just all that good shit. And yeah, catch us next time. We'll see you in a week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.